I just want to say as we get started today that it is wonderful to worship with you all on a Sunday morning. There are churches around the world that are not only gathering today in worship, praising the same Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, many of which are singing some of the same songs, but there is something beautiful and unique about being right here at Sherwood. And I am so grateful to God for each of you. So we have set aside five weeks to study what it looks like to live at the intersection of God's presence, God's activity, and God's favor. Where you find one, you're going to find the other two. And for that matter, where you find any, you will often find that they are in equal proportion to each other. And it is absolutely true that God is always there. He is always active. He is always blessing his people. There's no doubt or question about any of that. But there are those times when God's presence seems more easily recognizable and where God's activity just seems so unbelievably visible and where God's favor is so strong, it's so over the top, that it just causes you to stop what you're doing and you get just a glimpse of how big God really is. These God moments or these divine encounters, as some people call them, they bring a fresh awareness to the reality that God is there and that he is active in the lives of his people. It's those moments that we are studying in this particular series So we began with Psalm chapter 127, verse number one, last week in a message entitled, When We See the Need. In Psalm 127, it challenges believers to choose a life that is God-centered in every way. And verse number one simply says this, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. We're reminded that there is this beautiful balance between how we work and who we trust. Yes, we are called to work. Yes, we are called to serve. Yes, we are called to act. But at the same time, we are also called to trust in God completely. According to Proverbs, it says, lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. So that led to our key thought for this last week. Obedience requires effort, but our faith must remain solely in God. God is the one who has to do the work. As the text says, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord guards the city, they labor in vain and they stay awake in vain. God has to be the one who does it. So we took that idea of it has to be God to do the work, And we tried to merge together four streams of God's work or his activity into one continuing river of thought this last week. There was the missiological stream that focused on God's activity among the nations for the last 2,000 years. And then there was the Sherwood stream, and it focused on what God has been doing, his activity at Sherwood for over 67 years. And then I also brought in another one. It was a personal stream for me. It's, it's a part of what God has been doing in my life for over 25 years of pastoral ministry and how that impacts the way I serve as a pastor right here at Sherwood. 
And then there was a stewardship stream that we brought in as well. And that focused on each of us stewarding the presence of God, the activity of God, the favor of God, and what it looks like for us to do that for generations to come. As we traced God's activity over the last 2,000 years, there were parts that were exciting, and there's also parts that are disturbing. It is exciting that God is on the move. It's exciting that God is still changing lives and he's expanding the kingdom. And it's exciting that he is building a family of every nation, tribe, and tongue. All of that is exciting. But the disturbing part that we found is when people have been exposed to the gospel for generations and when the fire of God's mission is replaced with dead religion or spiritual apathy, it seems as though God's spirit continues to move forward and much of his activity concentrates on those who have never heard the gospel or on those who are serious about the Father's business. It is not that God's spirit is totally removed from the land, but, but rather instead you find pockets of God's favor instead of countries or nations or, or continents that once were aflame with the activity of God. So when I describe pockets of God's activity, that's what I look at and see happen right here at Sherwood. Sherwood has been one of those pockets of God's favor and activity for 67 years. When you look around you, you see what God has been doing, changing lives and changing legacies and, and reaching the nations from Albany, Georgia. Like God has been writing his story in this place. He has been faithful to Sherwood. But now here's the question we have to ask. What will the story look like tomorrow? What will the future be? Scripture is very clear that God's activity in the past does not guarantee God's favor for the future. When upwards of 5,000 churches every single year are closing their doors, when, when we see that, that areas that once were alive with God's activity, now there's gospel lighthouses that are closing down piece by piece. While, while we don't understand all that's going on in each of those places, we do know that there are consequences that come with what's referred to as mission drift. That is when individuals and churches, they get off track, they get off path with the mission that God has placed before them. What we do understand is the decisions we make today will impact the story God is writing at Sherwood tomorrow. So today we pick up that idea of God has to be the one to do the work. And we're going to develop what does it look like to live in a God-dependent state. How do we learn to trust him more? It's not that we stop doing. We're, we're called to do. We're called to act. We're called to serve. But in the process of doing those things, how do we learn more and more to depend upon him, to trust in him, to expect great things from him while walking in humility with him? So during my sabbatical, I was praying about a biblical path that would keep us at this intersection of God's presence and God's activity as well as God's favor. And God brought an answer, but he brought an answer from a direction that I was not exactly thinking about. That is, he used a story out of the Old Testament, a story of God's people on a wrong path 
and a story of God moving them back over to the right path. And in the story itself, you understand that the path they were on, there are warning and indicators, this is the wrong way, but it's in the, the process of him moving them back to his best that we see a path forward and how it is that we can stay in the center of God's activity. So I invite you, if you're not already there, go with me in your Bibles today, 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23. 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23. I'm speaking this morning on the subject of how we show dependence. Now, this morning is going to be different than most messages. Uh, you all know I, I love go verse by verse, taking our time. We can pull out one verse and spend all day there. I love doing that. We're going to do our best to go through two chapters this morning. I hope you all packed a snack. You got a bottle of water with you. I got my water bottle, my tiny water, but it's going to be a good morning. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to read the entire text in advance, but I do encourage you, keep your Bibles open because I'm going to walk through the story. I'm going to call out the references, and I want you to see the truths of God's Word for yourself. So let's go to God in prayer before we get into all of this. Heavenly Father, we are so dependent upon your spirit to once again make the word come alive in our hearts. God, would you help people to see exactly what they need to see? Lord, personalize the message. May it be so direct to each individual, but at the same time, Lord, may it be so clear for what your call in Sherwood to be about. God, will be grateful for what you do in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So our story focuses on King Josiah. And man, there's a lot of incredible activity that's taking place in the story. Josiah became king when he was eight years old and he reigned for 31 years, according to chapter 22, verse 1. Now, if you don't think God can do anything with anyone, imagine the state of the world if the average eight-year-old were ruling this place. Uh, so, by the way, this story makes a strong case for the fact it is never too early to train your kids right from wrong. It's never too early to teach them responsibility, and it is never too early to teach them to know and to love God. We have no idea where God will call our kids and when God will call our kids. So, this is a great story. So I'm sure that Josiah had other advisors that were around him, helping him process key decisions. But according to what we find in chapter 22, it tells us he did not turn from the right or to the left. He didn't deviate. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And once he set his mind to something, he did not back up. What an incredible testimony. In the 18th year of his reign, he's probably around 26 years old at this time, King Josiah sent a messenger to, to Hilkiah the priest to count the money that was in the temple treasury and to use some of those funds in order to pay workers to do repairs within the temple. Now, through this exchange, Hilkiah the priest tells Shaphan, who was the messenger, says, verse 8, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Let that sink in for just a moment. He found it. The implication is he didn't know where it was prior to this. The implication is somewhere along the way, 
The word of God was being ignored. It was not being used. It was lost for all intents and purposes. They found the word of God in the house of God. It's like Hilkiah the priest steps out the doors of the temple and he's like, hey guys, look what I just found. This is great. So he shares it with Shaphan, the messenger, and he reads through it. And then he goes back to King Josiah and he tells the story of Hilkiah's discovery. And then he reads the word of God to King Josiah, chapter 22, verse 10. And when Josiah heard it, he tore his robes. And in verse 13, he commands Hilkiah, as well as Shaphan and others, he says, quote, go inquire of the Lord for me and the people of all Judah. In other words, he says, seek God. Go inquire of God. Somebody pray to God on our behalf concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. When King Josiah heard God's word, he was convicted by what he heard. He had enough wisdom to recognize the wrath of God is sitting upon us as a people. And he also knows why. He, he says, those who came before us, our forefathers, they did not listen to what the word has to say, nor did they do all that is written in it. You might want to underline all in your Bible. You, you cannot just pull out the parts that you like and say, that's enough. The issue is it comes as a collective unit. It is God's word. We do not get to pick. We do not get to choose. We are called to not only know it, but to study it and to live according to what it describes. So now I want you to take that basic little idea, apply it personally, apply it within your family, apply it within your friend group, and apply it within your church. Is God's word missing? Apply it personally. Is God's word missing in your life? Are you spending time with him? Are your decisions in the direction of your life, is it being determined by the word of God? Is God's word missing in your marriage? Is your marriage being built upon the truths of God's word and upon what we have in Christ? Are your children Learning the word of God at home, at home, at home. Do not trust the fact that if I just drop them off at church, they're going to pick it up there. They need to see mom and dad teaching the word of God at home. It does, is the word of God missing in your friend group? When you look around, does the conversation ever turn back to, can I tell you what God's teaching me in the word? Is the word of God being watered down in your church? Like these are important questions to ask. When the word of God is missing, the foolishness of people is amplified. When the word of God is missing, when it's diluted, when it's rejected, when it's minimized, it always leads away from the path of God's best. When the word of God is missing, you're no longer, listen, no longer, here it is, here it is, depending upon God, there's this word, depending, you're no longer depending upon him, you're trusting something else or someone else 
in order to help make the decisions of your life. There is a connection between the word of God and dependence of God's people. So Hilkiah the priest and Shaphan the messenger and their companions, they go to Huldah the prophetess to inquire of the Lord. There's a whole lot that we could unpack there. We're just going to have to say that for another Sunday. But here's what she tells them, the essence of it, in verses 14 through 20. She says, God has allowed evil to come upon the people of God because they have forsaken God, they have chased after idols, they have worked on things that he hated, and his wrath is going to abide. But, aren't you glad for some buts in Scripture? But, because of one guy, because of King Josiah, the prophetess says God is going to withhold his wrath through the end of Josiah's reign. Why? Because he was a great guy? Because, you know, he did everything right? No. According to the text, because he was tenderhearted towards the things of God because he was humble, because he was earnestly desiring to hear from the Lord, because of those things, God chose to withhold his wrath. God, according to the text, heard his prayers, gave a path of restoration, and withheld his anger. Chapter 22, verse 19. Listen, God can use one person to change the trajectory of a family, of a friend group, of a church, of a school, of a city, of a country. This is an entire group of people who were able to rest in peace under his reign because one individual said, God, what's happened is wrong. And if you show us what's right, we're willing to pursue it. Just one. So let's apply it. Is God calling you to be that one? There's a lot of people who can look on both sides of their family and they can see incredible brokenness and generational sin and patterns of unfaithfulness and abuse. Is God calling you to be that righteous one who takes a stand and begins to, to turn the course of a family back towards God's best? Some of you are in friend groups where there are foolish decisions and sinful choices being made everywhere. And others around you are laughing at this. And they're not taking it seriously, but you walk away from those conversations and there's conviction in your heart. Could it be God placed you in that particular situation because he wants to use you to be the person of righteousness right there? Someone needs to speak up and say, there's a better way, there's a higher standard. Could it be that God is using his word, calling people out into churches that are dead and dying in order to be agents of change. I, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but there's times you can be in different churches and everybody around you seems to be okay with business as usual. And as long as the bills are paid and the doors are open and there's money in the budget and those basic things, as long as there's a handful showing up, people are like, it's good enough. But inside of you, God's keeping you awake at night. 
And there's a stirring in your heart and there's a burden in prayer. And you think to yourself, why does no one else see what I'm seeing? Could it be he dropped you there as a catalyst of change? All it takes is one. Now, and it's not even that it's the one person, it's a person surrendered to the one true God. God can use little if a person's willing to be used by him. Now, here's what's going to happen if God's calling you to be that one. The enemy will bring up fear and doubt into your mind. Here's a good word. The question is never, what if no one goes with me? The question is always, what has God called me to do? That's where obedience happens. When individual believers submit to God and they walk in faithful obedience to his word, God uses their obedience to impact the lives of those who are around them. Did you know you can bookend the activity of God in these chapters with verse 13 as well as verse number 19? Verse 13, Josiah says, go inquire of the Lord for me and the people. In other words, pray, seek God's will for what we're going through. And then verse 19, the Lord says, I truly have heard you. Are you praying? Not just do you pray occasionally. Are you praying? Are you fervent in those prayers? Are you seeking God continually? A great indicator of God dependence is personal prayer. Starting in chapter 23, King Josiah begins to act upon what he heard from God. Now in verses 1 through 3, Josiah gathers all the people together at the house of God. Here's what he does. He reads the word of God to them. <laughs> Isn't it amazing what happens when people just get the word? <laughs> Here's your good word. Lasting change begins by elevating scripture back to its rightful position. If it's been lost, bring it back out so the people can see it. How will people know what God desires? How will we understand where he is leading if we don't know his word? I get a chance to talk with a lot of pastors, young and old, a lot of church planters. And almost inevitably, in some part of the conversation, the attention turns towards church growth and church health. And almost always, the question comes up, is there a strategy you would recommend? Is there a program that you would recommend? Is there an approach that you feel like works best? And I've noticed nobody likes my answer. Because they want some silver bullet that they've not heard about. So here's the answer I keep giving people. Pray, preach the word, proclaim the gospel. It's not new, but it's effective. Pray. How will God's people understand God's heart if we're not in prayer? If we're not in prayer, we instantly begin to move to, I've got to do something for God instead of saying, God, I'm dependent upon you to do your work in and through us. Preach the word. There's probably nothing that a pastor 
could do that's going to be more effective in the life of the church than to get up week after week and faithfully say, this is the word of God, and we're going to stand with it. I'm going to proclaim it. I'm going to teach it. We're going to start in one side of a book, and we're going to go to the other side of the book. Just preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. It's amazing what happens when people hear the word of God proclaimed and then share the gospel. According to scripture, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's not just the good news that saves, it's the good news that sanctifies. The, the gospel is this incredible story that tells of God's design and sin's intrusion and Christ's solution for human flourishing. The gospel in a nutshell is humanity has been, re, been created for relationship with God. Our sin separated us from that relationship. There was nothing that any of us could ever do to make things right, but Jesus did for us what we could not do. He lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death on the cross. He rose again three days later that we might have life. And he offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship to those who repent of their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news the world needs to hear. And it's the good news the church needs to constantly hear. Preach the word, proclaim the gospel, pray. So after Josiah read the word of God to the people of God, Josiah made a covenant with the Lord. He committed to walk after the Lord, to keep his word, to pursue God with all of his heart and mind and strength, and to live the teachings of Scripture. Josiah made that covenant himself. And this is so important. You cannot lead people in areas you're unwilling to go. So notice what it says in verse number three of chapter 23. And all the people entered into the covenant. That's huge. God may choose to use one person to help direct people back to God's best. But eventually, the people have to desire God's best. King Josiah couldn't want it bad enough for them. Eventually, they have to want it and see it for themselves. Now, starting in verse number four, they begin some cleansing in the land. And I'm talking some serious cleansing. This is, this is bigger than spring cleaning going on. This is, this is in-depth cleaning. They cleanse God's temple by removing the idols. They took them out and they burned them in front of people. They killed the idolatrous priests who were leading God's people away from him. They brought out the Asherah poles from the temple, and they burned them to the ground before the people. Josiah broke down, listen to this, houses made for male cult prostitutes that were connected to the house of God. Is it any wonder 
that God's anger and wrath was on this group. There were idols in God's house, false priests in God's house, male prostitutes in God's house. Josiah tore down the high places. He didn't even stop there. He dug up the bones of former idol worshipers, burned them on the altars of the idols they worshiped to disgrace the place. Then he ripped those pieces down. He demolished it and threw the dust in the Kidron River. Brother was on a mission. He's like, it's not enough to just get rid of some of this. It's all got to go. Oh, there's a lesson. There's a lesson. Here it is. There should be a holy ruthlessness when dealing with sin. You cannot coddle sin. You cannot embrace sin. You cannot excuse sin and expect God's presence and God's activity and God's favor to remain. When the cleansing was done, the celebration could begin. Verse 21, it says, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. And they did what Scripture declared. They celebrated. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember this or not, but Passover was a celebration of what God did to redeem his people out of bondage. Did you know the text says they stopped and hadn't celebrated Passover since the day of the judges? Ooh, come on now, there's a lesson. If we ever stop celebrating what God has done for us, we're on the wrong path. When you, when you can come in on Sunday and it bothers you that a person next to you raises their hand and cries in worship, there's a problem in your heart, not in theirs. But when you can come in and you just sit there and nothing stirs you, nothing moves you, when you walk out and you're like, he went over three minutes this morning. Listen, when those things happen, it's indicating there's an issue in the heart. When we stop celebrating what God has done for us, we're on the wrong path. They hadn't celebrated since the time of the judges, but now they celebrated. Look at what it says in verse 25. Before him, speaking of Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might. That's personal. It is saying there was no one else who did that according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. God used Josiah to reestablish God's word among the people, to cleanse the land of idolatry, and to direct God's people back to the right path. But the story's not done. Look at what it says in verse 23. However, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger burned against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. In other words, God delayed his wrath because of the faithfulness of Josiah. But there was a payday that was still coming. Under Josiah's reign, the people experienced peace with God. 
But the obedience of one generation does not guarantee the obedience of the next generation. Go to the end of chapter 23. There is a powerful dose of reality. According to verse 29, King Josiah went out to meet Pharaoh Necho, who was the king of Egypt. What it says in verse 29, and when Pharaoh Necho saw him, he killed him at Megiddo. Whoa. Isn't that a pretty abrupt end to someone's life? There's no ticker tape parade for faithfulness. There's no attaboy that's given at the end. There, there, there's no fanfare that's happening here. There's no Josiah riding off into the sunset. He moves from part of God's plan into another part of God's plan. And listen, here's the beauty of this story. You are pretty much bulletproof until God's plan with you is done. But when it's done, you get to see your Savior face to face. And that's not bad either. This story is powerful. Isn't it amazing the fact that it wasn't Josiah who brought about the change of the nation. God used him, but it was God who brought about the change. And when he gets to the end, Josiah can't even walk out with a you know, parade and accolades. It wasn't about him to begin with. It's like God says, now it's time to die. I think it was the Count of Zinzendorf when asked the question, what is the secret to ministry? He says, preach the word, share the gospel, and die. Where else are we going to direct attention back to? It's not about us. So here is a powerful lesson at this point. Obedience to God does not guarantee a life without pain or problems. It only positions a person for greater usefulness and fewer regrets. There is a distorted view of faithfulness and rewards that has infiltrated the church, and it's been around for a couple thousand years. It teaches that God owes us something for our obedience. If we do this, then God is now obligated to do that. No, he's not. No, he's not. God may choose to bless us with nice things because he is good and it fits his will. Our God may choose to bless us with hardships because he is good and it fits his will. Either way, he is good and it fits his will. And the question has to be, not my will be done, but God, what's your will? What is your best? What is your path? And it is when God's people recognize that peace and we're willing to walk with him in faithfulness and obedience that there's something about the story that he's doing in our life that is appealing to people who are around us. All you need to do is skim the book of Job 
to find out that faithful living does not guarantee fewer problems. And if that story wasn't good enough for you, the story of Jesus is a really good one. His disciples, that's a pretty solid story. The Apostle Paul, same thing. So Josiah's servants, they drove his body back to Jerusalem. They buried him in his tomb, and they anointed his son, Jehoahaz, to be king. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned a whopping three months. According to verse 32, it says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. You have a father who is recognized as no other king had had more of a heart, more of a mind, more of a soul sold out to God than what you find with King Josiah and his son does evil in his sight. Pharaoh Necho, the same one who killed Josiah, imprisoned Jehoahaz and made another one of Josiah's the next king. He renames that son to Jehoiakim, and he used that son for his own game. Verses 36 and 37 says, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And then it says, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. The faithfulness of one generation does not guarantee the faithfulness of the next generation. Each generation is called to walk with God. Each generation is called to step up to the plate and answer the question, who am I going to follow? So as we close, I'm going to give a couple of takeaway thoughts, and then I'm going to share one practice as we close that keeps us centered in God's presence and trusting him to do his work. Here's just a couple of the lessons. Uh, God's activity is often connected to our obedience. Is there something that God has already pressed in your heart that needs to be done that you keep saying no to? God's activity is often connected to our obedience. Next one, personal obedience leads to greater usefulness. It doesn't lead to less pain. It doesn't lead to less problems. It doesn't lead to less difficult situations, but our obedience does lead to greater usefulness. And by the way, if we've not obeyed God in our current assignment, why would he give a bigger one? Okay, next one. <laughs> Effort, activity, and passion do not mean God is leading or supporting the work. Prior to Josiah cleansing the temple, you need to keep in mind the temple was still open, People were still worshiping, and activity was still happening. Here's the problem. They were worshiping idols. They were actively serving their own purposes, and they were passionate about the wrong things. All because the lights are on and the bills are paid does not mean God is at work. Ask God to reveal personally in your heart. It begins personally. Ask God to reveal any effort, any activity, any passion that is not of him. So what is one practice that keeps us centered in God's presence and trusting him to do the work? It's simple. It's prayer. It's what happened when the word was proclaimed and he is cut to the heart. He says, inquire the Lord for me and for the people. And then you go into verse 19. It says, 
and the Lord heard him. The Lord heard his prayers. Prayer is essential. Prayer reorients us back moment by moment into God's presence and revealing our need and, and asking and seeking his efforts and his help. Prayer is that thing. Prayer is central to the activity of God in the story of Josiah. It is central to the activity of God in the movements of God that happened around the world. Josiah inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered. Apart from prayer, we miss so much of what God desires for us. So here's my question for you. It starts personally, and then it moves corporately. Are you praying not do you pray occasionally. You know the difference between the times you lock onto the horns of the altar and you intercede like somebody whose life depends on it and the time that you very quickly are reminded you didn't pray that morning and you offer up a quick, Lord, bless everybody in my family prayer and you move on. There's a difference between are you praying, are you focused in prayer, are you living out this relationship in communion with the Father? There's a difference between that and prayer, as I said last week, being a garnish on the side of your life. Are you praying? Now ask this question. Are we praying? Prayer has been a part of the culture of this church for a long time. But I'm afraid we talk more prayer than we live. We cannot rest upon the prayers of God's servants in the past to be sufficient for God's vision for the future. Every generation, every new group is called to say, what will we do in this? We're called to pray. So here's how we close this out. What I'm about to say may sound crazy or outrageous, but I still believe that God answers big prayer requests. So here's what the big request and the step of application is going to be. We are praying that God would gather 10,000 people who would be willing to pray 10 minutes each month for 10 specific prayer requests for Sherwood. 10,000 people, 10 minutes a month, 10 specific prayer request. I know 10,000 sounds like a lot. There's not 10,000 people in this room. But I believe there's enough people who have been a part of God's story at Sherwood who have a heart for what he's doing here. But there's people who are going to be willing to pray. We have multiple times each week that people can gather together for corporate prayer. One of those times is 7.45 a.m. every Sunday morning. I'm here. Where are you at? <laughs> I, I say that part serious, part joking. I recognize everybody cannot be here at 7.45 in the morning. I get that. But some can. We have another corporate prayer time where we're praying over needs that impact the body as a whole. We have that every Sunday afternoon at 5.30, House of Prayer. And there's a lot more who are there, 
But I also recognize everybody can't be there for that. But here's what I'm convinced of. Anyone who has a heart for prayer can find 10 minutes each month to target their prayers towards specific needs that we're walking through. I believe that's doable. So earlier this year, our pastors and directors got together and we just began to lay out what are great needs that impact the entire body. And then we put like one specific prayer request with each of those. We want the prayer request to be general enough that people do not feel locked in, specific enough that it can be targeted towards our greatest needs, and also simple enough that an entire family can pray these things together. And let me emphasize the fact, we want your kids to be praying with you as parents through these. How will your kids understand the importance of prayer if they don't see their parents walk them through this in the home together? How do you change the next 20 and 25 years? You get the children now. You get them praying specifically now. You get them focused on the word of God and the gospel now. So here's, here's what we're gonna do. After the service is over, these cards will be available at our Connection Center right out in the atrium. And on the back, there is a simple, I don't know, part of a website. Go to sherwoodbaptist.net forward slash prayer. Just a simple link. We're asking people, if they would, to go onto that site and to simply register, name, name, email address, and then there's like one place if you are a parent and you're going to bring your kids with you through this, we just ask that you put off to the side how many children you're going to put in. We do ask if anyone has an email address, they would sign up individually on this. There's also a QR code that's up on the screen right now. You can go over there. Literally, it took me 20 seconds last night to do this. And here's, here's my commitment to you on that. Nobody likes to see their email account fill up with a bunch of junk email. So we're going to send one email out each year that's going to describe what God has done in response to prayer for that year. We want you to know what it is that God is doing. But that's our request. 10,000 people, 10 minutes per month, 10 specific prayer requests for Sherwood. Now, if you'd like, feel free to pray over these every single day. We're not going to be upset with that. You can break them down over the month. That's okay too. However it is, 10,000 people, 10 minutes a month, 10 specific prayer requests. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow with me right now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed for just a moment. So as we're closing out right now, and the focus of today is how we show dependence. The emphasis comes back to prayer. It comes back to knowing the word of God and trusting that God is going to be the one to do the work. I, I want to ask if you would be willing to, to join us in this, would you take that next step? It might be that today you're recognizing that God has been burdening your heart that you're to be that person of change in your family or in your friend group or, or maybe in your church. 
It might be that you're recognizing that you've been peppering in some prayers, but you've not been walking with a life of prayer. It might be that as parents, you recognize you've not been teaching and training your children to pray. You're just hoping they're going to pick it up because they go to church. I don't know what God is doing specifically in your heart, but here's, here's my request. As we have this final song, would you simply respond to whatever it is the Spirit of God is leading you to do? It may be that today you want to know more of what it looks like to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There's going to be some of our pastors, some of our pastor's wives at the front. There's going to be counselors also that are going to be coming. There's going to be people that would love to be able to talk with you. So the question becomes, where is God leading and what is he asking you to do next? As we sing this final song, I simply ask, would you respond to him? Heavenly Father, may you be the one to do the work. God, we recognize apart from you doing it, it's not going to happen. So Lord, we ask right now, would you do the work? Would you bring 10,000 people who have a burden for prayer and a burden for this church, they'd be willing to pray 10 minutes a month for 10 specific needs. Lord, I pray that you would gather those together. May we be amazed by the number of people who come. Lord, I don't know what that's going to look like. It, it might be that it's years down the road that we're still building into this, but God, whatever that is, I trust you in it. So Lord, would you do in this place what only you can? And Lord, we will thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.